How is everybody? Welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking, Arico's podcast to help the Icelandic business community understand how technology will transform and change the world and keep us at the leading edge. Today, we've got another great interview with an author. We've got Stephen Van Belgen uh, from Belgium. Uh, he lives just outside Bruges, which is a beautiful city. Uh, he's fresh back from his summer holiday in Iceland. Uh, so he knows uh, how beautiful the country is. And he's the author of the book, uh, The Offer You Can't Refuse. And the book is really about how it's no longer about producing technology that is easy to use. It's about how do you support and improve someone's life. So without further ado, hey, Stephen, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. And uh, I really enjoyed reading your book. And uh, it's super current, like your first few pages, you're talking about uh, March and April 2020, uh, so, which, is, uh, which, which is fantastic. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you come to be uh, here today. Yeah, um, with pleasure. So um, I'm Stephen, and my passion is to, to create content and share stories about the future of customer experience. I'm a, I'm a customer guy that is also passionate about technology. And I really believe that if you combine, you know, the possibilities of technology with a mindset of being passionate about your customers, that you can create unique experiences. And, um, you know, I, since the beginning of my career, I've been focusing on this topic, first as an academic in, in, in a business school, then as a researcher in a market research company. And um, since about 10 years, I've been publishing books about this topic. Uh, my first book came out in 2010. The title was The Conversation Manager. And uh, this now, The Offer You Can't Refuse, is my fifth management book. And I spent most of my time with giving presentations uh, about this topic, today virtual, you know, but in a pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID world, I, yeah. I travel around to talk about it. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I started uh, two companies. One is called Nextworks, which is an inspiration company where we take... Uh, mainly European executives to innovative places around the world. We take them to China, we take them to Silicon Valley, we go to the Middle East and then show people what is happening there. Um, I'm also the founder of a company called Snackbytes, which is a social media marketing agency. So oh, that's how I fill my days. Yeah, Fantastic. That sounds like a lot uh, to, uh, to, to, fill, to fill your day with. So, uh, so, so the book starts with, talking about how technology and customer expectations is about ease of use. Uh, but, but you're saying now that ease of use is no longer good enough. T t tell us a bit more about that. Well, if you look to the past 10 years, um, it was mainly about 4G, about mobile, about social. And we all know how big technology companies really understood the power of these technologies to create, an, let's say, an ultimate transactional convenience. If you want to order something from booking.com or Amazon or Zalando, it, it's really easy and usually it goes really well. And if something goes wrong, they solve it instantly. So, so most people have a good and pleasant experience with that. Because of the fact that these guys are all over the place and that people all over the world are using them, their standards, their way of operating has become some sort of an, a new normal. It's, it's a minimum expectation. So today, you know, having a, a one-click order on your website or if you're easy to find online or if your customer service is, is very, you know, user-friendly on your website, 
that's just the most normal thing in the world. The only way how to differentiate yourself with, with technology and, and convenience is almost in a negative way. Right? You know what I mean? If, if you have digital convenience, fine, but it's the most natural thing in the world. If you don't have it, people see it as a negative aspect of your business and you're not up to, up to speed anymore. And, and, and it's interesting how there's always a range of businesses. So some are at the bleeding edge. Some, there's, a, there's a rump in the middle. So for instance, chatbot customer service uh, is, is, is an example of would be, I think most organizations have that now, but I know we work on, on projects helping companies digitize some of that delivery model, whether it be connecting their, their front end e-commerce with the logistics side, because people expect that stage of simplicity. But the problem is you then need to create a similarly simple to use system at the back end. Right, right, right. And, uh, and in, in, the, in the book, one of the things you talk about is that obviously technologies are continuing to help us go faster. Uh, so and you, what, what are some of the complex challenges that you think technology will, will, will help us begin to solve in the next uh, few years? Well, I like that. I like the fact that you use the word complex because, you know, if, if you look at the, the challenges we're going to solve, I, I do believe they're more complex than in the past. That they, take the world of mobility, for instance. In the past 20 years, we digitized maps, which, which is fantastic. Eh? That, that brings us to places in the most convenient way possible. I couldn't live without it anymore. But in the next 20 years, we want to put self-driving vehicles on the roads, which is far more complex than just digitizing the maps. Look at the world of healthcare. Uh, in, in the past 20 years, we all discovered Dr. Google. And you know how Dr. Google works, yeah. right? They, no, they, normal doctors <laughs> don't like Dr. Google. No, they hate it. And, and you know, we, we also uh, understood the, yeah, let's say the imperfectness of it. If, if you, let me give you an example. If you say, hey, Google, I have a, a headache, then Google always replies with, yes, I know, and you will die slowly and painfully. And that's always the answer. It's almost <laughs> like you have the most terrible disease in the world. So basically, that's what we had in the past 20 years. I want to try that now. I want to try that now. Let me see whether we can get that. I have a headache, Google. Oh, it didn't, it didn't talk. It, it just gives up on you already. It just gives up. I was expecting <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, I, I it's like rule, he's, rule. he's already gone. <laughs> Google had a headache and yeah. died slowly and painfully. <laughs> so, Stephen, uh, 5G is obviously the latest uh, trend, and obviously we all want to be able to stream Netflix quicker. Could you give me some examples of how just 5G will help uh, organizations and governments deliver more complex services more simply? You know, the, one of the example areas that I really like in terms of 5G is the healthcare industry. I think the the possibilities for remote healthcare, which we are exploring today, may, and it's, it's been growing because of COVID. Um, but if you look at the possibilities of remote healthcare, just imagine that you would always have access to the best possible doctor that can do a surgery uh, from a remote location. Um you know, w without the travel restrictions or without the travel issues that you have and that you could have access to the best possible healthcare system. I think those kind of benefits go way beyond just faster downloads of, of and faster streaming of Netflix. So I think having access to more and more services and the automation of certain services, that those will be the most fascinating fields of 5G. Yeah. And, and I think also, if you then look at the, the power of cloud computing, you look at the, the wearable tech 
and how that monitors your health. So, for instance, for those that are elderly, you know, you've got your monitors on and, and someone somewhere is monitoring your health mm-hmm. and that sort of AI or machine is going, hang on a minute, we've spotted something here and can alert things rather than relying on someone that's elderly or frail or suffering from dementia, uh, sort of recognizing they need to go to the doctor. The doctor can effectively be monitoring them uh, from afar. Yeah, well, if you think it through, it it, it may completely change the healthcare system. Uh, to, today, um, like in Belgium, when, when I feel pain or something or when something is wrong and we need to go to a doctor, we need to make an appointment, we need to go there, they let us wait, then we have the meeting, then we have to go to a pharmacy, then we go back home. I mean, it's you have to take half a day off to have access to, to healthcare. And the customer has to go to the healthcare system. In a world of AI and cloud, you can basically turn that around where the healthcare system comes to you and where they try to make sure that you get the right information before you even know that you will get that information. And, you know, this whole trend of proactivity, I think this is what we're going to, what we're going to see the next few years. Uh, if, if, you know, if you ask me which technologies will make a difference in the next five to 10 years, 15 years, I, I always like to play with four or five general purpose technologies like artificial intelligence, 5G, quantum computing, robotics, cloud. I think those five will like make freeways of digital applications um, in the next few years. But one of the consequences will be faster than real-time customer service, where the problem is solved before you know that there's a problem. Uh, I, I sometimes call this proactive digital empathy. You know, because empathy was always a word that we connected to humans and, and we're still really good at it. And I think, you know, real-time empathy, if I would see, uh, if I'm talking with someone and I see that the, the their expression, their facial expression is changing, my brain instantly in real-time knows, oh, I said something wrong or something happened and we change our behavior. That right. That's human. But computers will be experts in proactive digital empathy. Where you so, under- so, so does that mean, Alex, I just wanted to contact you to say, I'm really sorry you're about to fall over and cut your knee? <laughs> almost. Um, it's almost like getting an, a message saying within 10 minutes, you're going to have a heart attack. You better sit down now and someone is already on the way to, to help you. Right. Or, or it's about when you have a, a newborn child and, you know, everyone knows what you worry about when you have a newborn in your house. You're worried about their sleep, about their food, about their diapers, about the fact that they're still breathing when they're asleep. Well, Procter & Gamble understood that and they created this service called Lumi, where they give you all kind of smart tools, smart mattresses, cameras, the whole thing. And they monitor everything about your baby that a young parent worries about and they proactively give you information about that. So they know what worries you and they proactively empathically remove those those worries for you. Yeah. To a, a cynic might say to continually reinforce that worries so you you make sure you have to continue to borrow what by the by that by those products. <laughs> Well, and, and they're smart, of course, eh? because you can have a diaper subscription, a Pampers subscription that they send Pampers to you whenever you need them and you don't need to worry about it. And yeah, there's there's a pro and a con of everything. But what you see is that a lot of people like the fact when, when the things that worry them in life are being removed before they even suffer from it. Fantastic. And the and so you talk about highways of change. In what ways do you see cloud computing be a high, being a highway of change? You know, it, it, we've, we've seen it this year. I mean, in, in March, April 2020, um, I, 
Some people call it a lockdown. I call it the biggest digital training course the world has ever seen, both, both from a customer and a government and an organizational point of view. Yeah. And, and you felt that some companies were ready and some companies were ready to scale for, you know, working from home or um, upscaling their e-commerce and, you know, upscaling their remote sales. And it's very simple. The companies that were ready were companies that were on the cloud. If you were not on the cloud, you were in great difficulties to adapt to this, this world where, some, where everyone was disconnected physically. So we, we've seen it. We had a real-life experiment. And I think that you know, if, if, if you now look to the results, the financial results of every company that is active in the cloud, I mean, they are skyrocketing in terms of revenue. So you see how the entire planet is at this moment yeah. moving into the cloud. And there was some fantastically impressive. If you think about how Teams scaled, Microsoft Teams, how it went from being a relatively fringe product to being mainstream, hundreds of millions of users, and it didn't miss a beat. Right, I mean, that's, right. that, that's pretty, I mean, as a testimony to Azure and the Microsoft stack, that's a, that's a pretty good testament, testament, testimonial in itself. It is. It's the biggest thrust test, I think, of digital that we ever had. And it's almost unbelievable that the internet didn't go down in March. Huh? If, you, if you think about it, the, the jump that we've made, I, I sometimes call COVID-19 some sort of a time machine. We started in March 2020 and suddenly in terms of digital, it was March 2030. And uh, that's probably the most amazing thing that, that we've seen. I'm, I'm convinced that this will become the, the beginning of the golden age of digital where, because, you know, more and more people, both citizens, companies, governments understand the benefits now of digital. They will see the urgency to invest more in digital. And we're going to have such a jump forward that this is going to be the beginning of a new, a new era in terms of digital. And uh and I know, uh, Rico, we've we've definitely been really busy. Companies accelerating the move to the cloud. Companies that weren't moving. Uh, and uh, and interestingly, you've got uh, some clients that are already in the cloud now, wanting to say, right, well, what's the next thing? So let's so say they're looking to move and use AI and machine learning to try and drive that proactivity. In what way do you think AI will make a difference for businesses and them helping their customers? You know, I, I, I like to look at AI from a customer point of view, not asking what kind of software do you need, but asking the question, what kind of benefits can we create for customers? And, and with AI, I see three clear customer benefits that you can, that you can create as an organization. The first one is, is a topic we already talked about, but faster and real-time customer service, being proactive, uh, solving problems before there's a problem. The second one is hyper-personalization. It's not, about the in, it's not about the average customer anymore. It's about the individual customer. Right. And the third, the third benefit is the ultimate convenience, creating full automation. And, you know, if, if you look to the world today, um, I don't think there's, we, we shouldn't make a distinction anymore between digital and analog or between online and, and offline. Everything is becoming hybrid. And what you see more and more is that the, that idea of convenience that we used to, you know, link to our mobile phone is something that you see coming back now in the real world as well. I think, you know, take, take a few examples. Take Amazon Go. You, go, you walk into the store, you take what you need and you walk out. You don't scan any products. You don't pay for them. It happens fully automatically. That's for me an example of this hybrid convenience where you, you know, um, have an offline experience. You go into the store and they remove the annoying part of shopping, the waiting in line, the payment, the hustling with products, and you just walk out. 
That's almost like an invisible digital layer that is on top of that offline experience. And, and that's something that they support with artificial intelligence. So faster and, and real-time, hyper-personalized, ultimate convenience. And, that's, and, and I guess that then draw, draw back to that, that's about a business knowing, using all the data they have on their customers, the ability to process that, and then make a decision on that in order to deliver that service. So it sounds really simple, but you look at all the clicks. The, it's easy for Amazon, right? The, the amount of data they've got on us. But if you look at for a normal business, just to get your data being processed in the right way is a, is a big change to, to then be able to think about, well, what would we then want to do with that data and the decisions that we want it to make? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the, the cool thing is that... In my opinion, this is no longer the exclusivity of the Amazons of this world. Like take McDonald's, for instance. McDonald's is a, is a very uh, old company. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like that. Like that. I mean, th- these guys are like more than 50 years old and they've been doing basically the same thing over and over again for decades. But now they're completely reinventing themselves. And, and one of the things that they've done is they made an acquisition about a year ago. They bought a company called Dynamic Yield, which is an AI and machine learning company based in New York. And they're going to use the software of this company on the data that they have from their app. And the McDonald's app is one of the most successful corporate apps we have in Europe. Millions of people are using it. Wow. And thanks to the app, they, they perfectly know what kind of taste you have. Huh? They know if you're a Big Mac person or if you're rather a, a McFish person or if you're a vegetarian. And the first place where we're going to see the impact of their philosophy of using AI in their restaurants is in the drive through Today, if you go to the drive-thru of McDonald's, the menu is the same for everyone. It's even still a printed-out poster, which is a little bit like in the Middle Ages. Yeah. But they're going to move to the next phase. They're going to use the data from their app, going to use the software from Dynamic Yield to personalize the menus when we go to a drive-thru. And if you are a vegetarian, they will perfectly know. So the vegetarian options will be placed nicely on top of the menu so you don't have to look at the bottom anymore to find your preferred uh, sandwiches. Okay. And you will feel welcome and probably, let's be honest, you will probably buy more. And, and so you start to see how, that just as a practical level, having that sort of processing power using machine learning and artificial intelligence, like a human would never be able to make that right. That relies on someone tagging someone as a vegetarian, where, right. where now it's about through digital delivery, you then connect the data you have on that individual to then deliver circle round for a better service as, 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 as well. Yeah, it's like, you know, what the, what the butcher in a small town knows. Well, you know, a butcher in a small towns perfectly knows the taste of all their customers. What McDonald's is doing is scaling this massively to a, to a global organization. Yeah. And, and, and I guess as we, as we work with our clients, it's, it's help. And that's one of the reasons we do the podcast, right? To sort of think, to widen our imagination. Iceland's a, a small but, and, and, but very creative country. And it's how do we... Uh, inspire the Icelandic business community to think, cool, we could do that. Like, oh, we know all this stuff about our customers. What could we do next? And sometimes we're limited by our, our imaginations of what we know exists uh, out there. So just that McDonald's example is fantastic because I would think, well, it's just a burger, right? Everyone goes, but I can start to, and I guess they can target offers and they start knowing when you haven't come back for a while. So they'll go, hey, we've got a deal on fillet o fish just for you. Exactly, exactly. The, the possibilities for them are endless. 
Fantastic. Well, one of the things I was really uh, interested in was uh, in the book, you talk about uh, the offer you can't refuse for employees and how technology can be improving employee experience, not just customer experience. Yeah. Maybe for, for the people who haven't read the book, um, you know, the, the model, the offer you can't refuse has three components. I talk about um, how digital convenience is, is becoming the norm and it should be part of everyone's organization. The second layer is about becoming a partner in life, which is about understanding the needs and the dreams and the fears that people have and, you know, pay a proactive role in the life of customers. Uh, every human has like a, a movie scenario in their head about what they hope will happen in their life, what they hope will not happen, their dreams and fears, and how can you, you know, facilitate them in achieving that, that film. And the top of the model, the third level, is um, how can you add value to society? How can you use the strengths of your organization to add value to society? And the combination of having a great product, having great customer, uh, great digital interfaces, being a partner in life and saving the world creates an offer you can't refuse. Uh, that's the model that I use in my book towards the market, towards customers. But you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the same theory can be used towards employees, and, you know, if, if you look at, for instance, the, the, the layer of digital convenience, the truth is that many employees still get step into some sort of a time machine, but then in the opposite direction, go back, back in the past when they entered the building of their employer, and it feels like they're working with tools from the previous oh. century. Yeah, where, and, and one of the biggest practices in Orico is the HR practice, you know, and actually many businesses have been very proactive at, at leveraging technology externally to deliver their services, but leveraging it internally, you know, even just as managing, not just appraisals, because everyone thinks, oh, technologies, now we can track appraisals digitally, but how you ask for holidays, exactly. uh, how, how you give feedback to the organization, how you can communicate in that feedback loop between upper management and lower management. There's yeah. so many different variables that, that businesses can engage with techn technologically. Exactly. And it should be as sim simple to you know, start a new episode of House of Cards, basically. Yeah? That's, that's what people expect. And if, if you wonder as an organization, ah, should I benchmark my HR digital? Oh, my Google Assistant is uh, interfering in, in the conversation. No, she, she, if, she, 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 she's probably said... There's someone about to drop a parcel off for you. Yeah. Uh, that's proactive customer service. <laughs> no, but if you, if you ask yourself in terms of age, HR digital tools, where's my benchmark? Don't look at your competitors. I mean, look at the apps that people have on the first page of their phone, and that's exactly what they expect from you. If, if they ask for a holiday, if they have a question about their wage, if they need a new keyboard for their computer, it has to be as simple as the apps that we have on our phone. Yeah. And, and organizations traditionally are very untrusting places. And, and in the book, you talk about the Evernote dispenser. So can you share that story with us? So, cause it, I read it and I was just like, that's, that's a brilliant, brilliant something. And immediately, anyway, you, you, you share it. Well, it was, it was a couple of years ago when we took a group of, of uh, entrepreneurs and, uh, and managers, executives to Silicon Valley. And we went to Evernote. And we were walking in their, in their building and there was this vending machine standing there in the middle of the office. And it didn't have drinks or snacks in it. No, it was uh, filled with computer accessoires like keyboards and mouse pads and USB sticks, those kind of things. And someone said, hey, what is this? And he said, well, it's a vending machine. If someone needs new IT gear, they can get it here. 
yeah, cool, cool. And then someone just popped a question saying, yeah, but how do you know if they really need that equipment? And the guys from Evernote were like, well, we, we trust our people that if they need a new keyboard, that they will get a new keyboard. And we didn't have anyone with keyboard addiction so far. So we haven't, didn't have a problem. And then that person or the guy from Evernote asked the question back to that person. He said, how does this work in your company? And that was a little bit an embarrassing moment because that, that, that person, it was a lady. She was CEO of a, of a big organization. She was like, yeah, people have to, you know, if they need a new keyboard, they have to type something in into our online system. Then someone from the help desk will go by to see if they really need a new keyboard. Then the person from the help desk will order the keyboard and then we, del- we will deliver it. And the guy from Evernote was like, and how long does that process take? Well, a couple of days and sometimes a week. And he said, well, with us, it takes about 10 seconds, that process. And that was a little bit a weird moment, an awkward moment. But that lady said, hey, but what if people steal stuff from this machine? What if they take keyboards and USB uh, sticks I'm, home? I'm laughing inside because I've worked in that company. I've worked in that company. It's just like, and, and, it, and it all depends on having friends in IT because that's the only way you really get stuff done. That's how it works. But the guy from Evernote was like, you know, we know that people steal stuff from this machine. And the rule is if we, if we catch them, they're going to be fired. But you know what? We're not going to change the rules because half a percent of our staff is stealing from the machine. We're not going to punish the 99.5%, you know, because we have a couple of idiots in our company. We want to support this large group of people as much as possible. And I think this is the, the issue eh, that big organizations, they make rules based on the 5% pain in the ass people that work in their company and they punish the 95% decent people that, that they pay a lot of money to work hard and they frustrate them with, with lousy IT systems. Yeah, and, and you, you've forgotten the punchline of the book, so I'm going to take the punchline for that okay. story. And then, and, then, and then the guy turns around and he says, well, even if that 5% does steal a keyboard, we've worked out it still costs less right. uh, than your system. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's where... Sometimes we get in organizations, we get so caught up in the principle, we don't actually look at it practically. Right. It might cost us 30 quid for the keyboard, but it costs us 100, quid, 100 pounds in man hours uh, or woman hours. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. So what are some of the other technological advancements businesses are making to, to support their employees? Well, I think that um, one of the one of the interesting fields, I think, is the whole discussion about reskilling employees. Uh, what, one of the challenges that many companies are facing today is that they can't attract technology talent or AI talent or people that can code. And you know, the the, the real talent doesn't want to work for them because they start their own company or they work for for big technology companies. So there's only one solution: you need to reskill your employees. And I think today what we see is that, you know, for customers, you want to have a partner in life philosophy for your employees. It's about being a partner in their careers and reskilling them, making sure that they have the right skills to be valuable in a digital world is going to be a very important one. And I'm a, I'm a big believer more and more of, of uh, online courses where you can reskill your employees. Uh, the, uh, companies like Coursera or Udacity, they have really cool uh, online courses where people can just start to learn about AI, can start to learn about blockchain, about anything that is relevant for their business. And it's just out there. And, you know, I think organizations should look into that more and see how they can work together with these kind of experts to, you know, upgrade their, the talent that they already have. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm not sure whether you have sort of like people that have what they call old money in, in, in Belgium. But when you speak to someone that has like a family estate, they, they use the word custodian a lot. They don't say this is my house. This is say this is the family's house and I'm looking after it. And, and often when I, when I, I, I work with people work for me, I, I always said, like, I view myself as a custodian of someone's career. You know, and my job is to make sure when you don't work for me anymore, you would have you get a better job than if you had never worked for me. Yeah. You know, and it's recognizing that you get the best out of someone by getting them to be the best that they can be, uh, recognizing the fact that they may not be with you forever. Yeah. Well, it's, you have this traditional quote about this in HR that I really like you know, when, when someone is saying, yeah, but what if we invest so much money in our people and they leave? How, how are we going to deal with that? And the answer of the, uh, the CEO was, yeah, but what if we don't invest in our people and they stay? Huh? What is the worst possible situation that you can be in? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that means you're just left with the rubbish people. So right. uh, that's fantastic. So, so, so Stephen, we, we, we may well be getting you on a, on a webinar. This is fantastic. Honestly, we've, for, the, for the listeners, we have hardly scratched the surface of the, uh, of the book. So we could go on a lot longer. Uh, but hopefully uh, you've enjoyed uh, this chat with, uh, with, with, with Stephen. Uh, Stephen, if you were to pick one app that you think will make the biggest difference to people's lives in the next uh, in the next five years, what app do you think will make the big difference? That's a very difficult question. Um, I, I I don't know an exact name of an app, but I think the biggest difference <clears throat> in our lives will be in terms of healthcare. You know, the the healthcare world has been so. Yeah, conservative in terms of how they, you know, about the patient experience in the last few years, in the last decades, I think that will completely flip. And in in China, you have this app that is already moving into this direction. It's called Good Doctor. It's part of the Ping An Group, which is, is an uh, insurance group. But Good Doctor really brings healthcare to to the people in their house. Uh, when you have an a symptom and something is wrong, you go to their app, you type in what's wrong, and instantly in real time, they connect you with a doctor that will do a first assessment to see if something's really wrong or not. If something's really wrong, they connect you with the right hospital. If some, if it's something light, they can online prescribe the medication and they deliver the medication to your house within max 29 minutes. And and that's what I really like. It's, it's, yeah. it's completely bringing the healthcare system in a very easy to use just a philosophy to to everyone's home just imagine the capacity you would get in the belgian or the or the uk or the icelandic healthcare system if doctors didn't have to say to people go home take two paracetamol every four hours uh call me if you're still unwell in a week you know like just 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 giving out just telling people like you could do that on the phone like you could just every every five minutes you'd be like next paracetamol like oh you've got oh you're 32, you have flu-like symptoms. Oh, actually, that's maybe not quite as relevant today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it's good. So, Stephen, we're getting dragged off on a tangent. As I, said, I told everybody we could talk all day. Uh, thank you very much. Where can everyone find you, Stephen? Uh, best place to go is my website, stephenvanbelegam.com. And um, they can find me on Instagram. I share a lot of content there about customer experience. I'm on YouTube. I have uh, weekly multiple videos about the future of customer experience. 
So it would be an honor to welcome everyone on those channels. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely be uh, subscribing to those. So uh, although after our last one of our last guests, uh, I was challenged to delete an app that's making you dumber. So like, the, the whole premise was you can use technology to make you smarter or dumber. Uh, and I deleted Instagram because the way I used Instagram was making me dumber. So, uh, but uh, thank you very much on behalf of everyone at Oriko. Uh, hopefully we'll see you in Iceland at some point. We're fant- fantastic. You enjoyed your holiday there this year and uh, we'll say goodbye. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye everyone. How fantastic was Stephen? Genuinely, we could have talked all day about technology. And what I love about Stephen is that it's so, so practical. It's not just about technology for technology's sake. It's about how do you apply it to customer experience? How do you apply it to employee experience in a way that makes not only your business better, but your customers internal and external happier as well? If you haven't done so already, please click subscribe to the podcast. Remember, our goal is to bring you the latest and the greatest in technological evolution. Now, one thing we haven't had much of yet is Icelandic guests. We really want some Icelandic guests because we know there is a lot of exciting technological transformation going on within Iceland. So if you've got a story to share of a problem that you've overcome or an example of how you're changing the world with technology, please reach out to us and we'd love to have you as a guest on our podcast. Speak to you soon. Bye.